0: Hi everyone. Um, it is Corey Ann, Joya and Cami. And we're here today um, to discuss mental health because we have gotten so many questions on mental health in our anonymous portal. Um, So we wanted to just do a little episode real quick on mental health and talk about it a little bit. All right. So a couple questions that we have gotten so far include, um, you know, what exactly is the stigma behind mental health? What is the reasoning? How can we break it? So I was doing some research on this and – The first thing that came to mind was the stigma of mental health. That's the number one reason why I have patients that come in that typically don't seek help is because of the stigma related to it. So looking up through some books and some references online, I came to a a pretty good understanding of what the definition of the stigma behind the mental health is. So stigma is whenever you see someone in a negative way, because of mental illness. Discrimination is when someone treats you in a negative way because of mental health. And social stigma and discrimination can make mental health problems worse and stop a person from getting the help that they need. So I know um, as a provider, I have a lot of people who are very hesitant to talk about their mental health. However, I think Julia and Cami can both agree that even in the hospital setting, That people who clearly need to get the help are hesitant to do it and may suffer other medical issues because of it.
1: Yeah, there's still a lot. Like, I know I've had some patients where you might think that they're suffering from depression or whether it's they came in for some kind of addiction. They have the hospital has a psych doctor come and see you, and as soon as a patient hears that a psych doctor is coming to see them, they like freak out. They don't want to be labeled, like, a crazy person. They don't, like, there's just such a huge stigma around it. And a lot of people, that's the reason why a lot of people don't seek help that they actually need.
2: I think, too, there's a lot of history with the mental health stigma, um, like, dating back to when there were more prevalent, like, mental hospitals and people would get institutionalized and there wasn't as much research done, not as many drugs available. There was only, like, lithium and Depakote and, like, those older ones. Whereas now there's like more sophisticated drugs that can treat people in a less like harsh way and two we don't really utilize those institutions anymore. So when people were locked up for quote-unquote being crazy because they needed like a very large amount of help. I feel like that contributed to the stigma because you can have mild forms of depression. You can have functioning levels of schizophrenia. Um. But when some people, older people, hear that you have mental health problems, they automatically think back to their like friend's cousin who was locked up in the padded loony bin. Yeah. So I think it kind of stems back farther than. Than just yeah
0: yeah you know, I, we I haven't I,
1: been able to run from that stigma. I ever know since. my
0: mom used to work for an agency that helped take care of people with mental health disorders, and she told me this story about this lady who had her teeth taken out. She automatically had a hysterectomy. And there was something else that happened. Uh, I can't remember what the other thing was, but it was because the women were known in these mental health institutions to get raped. Wow. And that's how they fixed it. They took out their teeth so they couldn't bite people and took out their parts, parts so they could not get pregnant. Get pregnant. That's insane. So oh I don't know. Now that we know about that, I'm going to look more into it and see what the, but my mom told me that's what that's happened to And that was like, you know, that's what they did yeah. back then. We hear... Every now and then I'll hear a story of someone saying they got attacked, assaulted in hospital-like settings.
1: I've seen that. Like, when we did our um, rotations in psych, like, we would, like, read through patients' charts and things like that and... Fair chunk of them would say that
0: because they think that people don't, believe, be, them. People right. don't believe them. People not going to believe them because they're going to label them as crazy or yeah. they're imagining and that just makes things. Makes
2: them such a vulnerable population to oh, yeah. do right. Of.
0: Exactly. So another part of this is having mental health conditions that are not being addressed. What can this affect? So everything. everything yeah. So um, it affects the emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It will affect how we think, how we feel, and how we act. It will also determine how we handle situations such as stress, how we function with others, and how we're making choices. It is important to address mental health at every stage of life, including childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and geriatric.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially now in today's world, like, kids, we need to focus on that, I think, too. Because we that's about a vulnerable population, like, children that's such a stressful time in anybody's life well yeah
2: especially that's like to the now. but i feel like too like we were talking earlier about like the gen z there mm-hmm. i feel like they're so in tune with mental health like more yeah. than ever so like moving forward i have confidence that
0: it will get the yeah, stigma like will get broken eventually
2: yeah, like but it's therapy a is a
1: big thing now like mm-hmm. when i was a teenager like therapy wasn't a thing like you just didn't go
2: to therapy but now it's like, and there's like the thing to it's do. It's like part of wellness, yeah. like preventing illness. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you know, they have the um, broken heart syndrome that people yeah. die from. Yeah. Because they're so overwhelmingly upset and mm-hmm. sad. Usually, it happens with grief, like if a, um, a wife loses a husband, husband loses a wife. I've seen people die from broken heart syndrome. That is what they, there's another technical term for it, but that's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's broken. You die of a broken heart. Right. It's an actual thing. You can actually die. Yeah. So Yeah, it
1: affects any kind of mental illness, affects any part of your daily life. It affects your health. Like, there's just some things that it just ends up,
2: manifesting you don't it. think that it yeah. can
1: affect, like, your heart or your lungs or whatever in your body but it can and it does
2: I think stemming off that too we were also talking earlier about how to break down this stigma and you know we're all nurses here and I always like to tell patients when they're embarrassed about you know having to come to terms with a mental health problem you know I usually ask them if you found out something was wrong with your heart tomorrow would you tell your cardiologist you didn't want to take the medicine? Or would you, you know, not go to your cardiologist? No, you'd run there. Most people would run. Like, take help me, doc. You know, you hear the word cancer. People are so afraid of cancer. We'll do everything. You know, your brain's an organ, too.
0: Absolutely. Just like your yeah. heart and
2: just like anything cancer can affect. So, if you're not taking your mental health as seriously as you're taking the health of your other organs, then you need to I think that, educa- like educate yourself.
1: That helped lead to the a part of the stigma, too, because, like... A lot of times with mental health, that's not something that you can, like, diagnose with. I mean, now you, oh, you yeah. can diagnose more, but, like, you, with you can't get, patients. like, a scan or, like, a yeah, head, head scan or blood data. work. Like, it's just, so, like, talking and getting to the root of something. Here's of how I
0: break it down for my patients. And this is the simplest way that I've come to explain it that people tend to understand. It is not like we can take a scan that's actually not true because schizophrenia, you can diagnose by a scan. But yes, yeah, there yeah, things you conditions. can Yeah, But like a
1: couple years ago, or 10, 15, like you couldn't. Like right. that's where like this has stemmed from so long
0: ago. The reason why mental health disorders are so hard to treat is because we are discussing things, we are evaluating how the patient feels, and if the patient's kind of everywhere, the treatment's gonna be everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not as if we can take blood work and right. say, "You're deficient in this." We'll give you yeah. some serotonin. There are some things out there, but it's not really been conclusive it's one way like like or the other. To quest yeah. And getting- yeah, yeah, It's we're not. not- saying
1: there's like nothing that can diagnose. There are, of course, some things that can, but it's not, it's not, as not as a, so yeah. readily available
0: as you, it should be. Like if you go to the hospital with a heart attack, they can evaluate you with an EKG with in ten minutes. Troponin. Yeah. They can do other lab work. Yeah. Do CT scans, whatever they got to do. It's so easy to diagnose things that are wrong in that aspect. Yeah, you come but with But the anxiety. brain is so complex. There's nothing to test. How you do it is try medications for the amount of period that allows it. That they have done studies that show that where you have the minimum benefit. Right. So if it's six to eight weeks, you have to try the medicine. You have yeah. to be diligent like for really six to eight long, weeks.
1: It's a really long, drawn-out process.
0: And if you don't feel better, if you start having more good days than bad days, say seven days a week, I don't want to get out of the bed, but say in the next three weeks, I get out of bed two days out of those seven days, progress. that is progress. Yeah. So that is how it's evaluated. It's not as if you take something and you feel immediate relief. Yeah. It takes time, it takes dedication, and it takes... Patient responsibility as well. You have to put in the work to want to be better.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's not to doubt, it's not to put blame on anyone, but we can only lead a horse to water, but we can't make them drink. We can't make them take the medicines. We can't make them go to therapy. They have to want to change. Exactly.
2: And I think, too, you know, if you're listening to this and someone in your life that you love and respect has tried to talk to you about their mental health and you don't think you've been receptive, that's kind of a cry for help. In yeah. a sense because mental health is obviously like we are saying so difficult to talk to talk about that if someone feels confident coming to you and talking to you about what they're feeling, then make sure you're really conscious about how you respond to them. Yeah. And you might not have all the answers. You might uh, not just know. Listen just, just listen, listen and take them seriously.
0: That is true. Sometimes people just wanna be heard. Sometimes people feel just feel better with an outlet.
1: Yeah. yeah. You just sometimes you just need to talk shit out.
0: There is um You know, something else that I always tell my patients when I see them is that if they come out and say that they have issues or they have concerns, I always tell them that that's a sign of courage because it is not easy to sit there and say, Hey, I'm not thinking right in my head. I'm having these thoughts that are abnormal. I am scared that I may actually hurt myself. It is so hard to come forward and say that. Mm -hmm. So they need to be acknowledged, like, Hey, you're doing a really good job because you could have came to this appointment today and not said a freaking thing. And yeah. here you
1: are. And here you are. Wait, cause you're like, saying something because it's been like ingrained in us that you go and you say something like that to a healthcare provider or something like they think like that has been ta- taught to us that that's weakness, but it's not. It's the it complete so much opposite. Strength.
2: We had a lot of. I had a couple people tweet me um, about talking to their parents specifically about mental health and like why are you so sad you have it so good or you know it's not that bad don't stop crying or you know just approaching their parents specifically with mental health problems um I think it kind of stems back to what we touched on earlier about you know the dating of mental health issues like how it was perceived maybe when your parents were kids versus today's totally yeah like different. you just kind
0: of sucked it up and didn't do anything right, about it right
2: right um What do you guys think about that? I mean, talking to parents, I, the first thing, I'm not a parent, like I said last episode, but, you know, when it comes to, when I think about this, I think to myself, of all the pregnant people that I've known, patients, friends, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, you talk to them and you say, you know, do you want a boy or a girl? And they're like, I don't care as long as they're healthy. Why does that stop? Because your kid's now grown. And why does it stop? Because it pertains to mental health.
1: Yeah.
0: No, that's
2: a good point. um And that goes along with a lot of different things. That goes along with being transgender. You know, you have parents that exile their kids for being gay or transgender. You ask that parent X amount of years ago if they wanted a boy or a girl, and they would say, I only want them to be healthy. Yeah. Now, I'm not speaking for all parents, but I think you guys can both agree that that's a very common response. Right. Yeah. So, when do, why does that stop? You're right. Yeah, once they're out of the womb, why does that change? Or not even out of the womb, once they're grown, you yeah. know? And they're like...
0: So I think it's...
2: That's a lot
1: of other stigmas we we'll to know, talk yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, it's a. <laughs> I, think it's I think it's approach.
0: I think it's an approach. So, you know, if parents are out there listening, if your child comes to you and says that there's something wrong, please understand that there is bullying that is going on so and it's not bullying whenever you were parents these kids are not getting a break social media is terrible 24 24 7 these kids are being attacked and it's like i don't remember what it's called like social
1: grieving or something but like you can feel it like everybody in the world there's so much going on and there's so much like weight Wait. and heavy heartedness in the world like we feel that as humans like you if it's not it's so everything but mm-hmm. the COVID crisis so many people have died But we like feel that weight in our hearts
2: yeah even with the social distancing you know people having to stay home you know even though it might not be like a huge deal to most people it does have its effects on mental health people that are used to go 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 and can forget about their problems and i'm one of them and get lost in work and school and gym and never being home and then all of a sudden everything's halted and you're like with anxiety mm -hmm. like that
1: that was this is such a huge time for a lot of anxiety, even people that didn't know that they had anxiety, this brought that up in them.
2: I think, like, the fear of the unknown is, like, literally the world's biggest fear. Yeah. And this COVID thing is, with so many unknowns. Yeah. It's a lot
0: to process yeah, as a is human. Yeah, this a good
1: time to talk about mental health because I think it, a lot of people have taken
2: a big hit with it.
0: Well, I mean, it's not time. only that, but it's not having a job, not being identified to your family. hmm those, not being able
2: to see your family. Yeah, I mean, not I,
0: being able to go anywhere or do anything because all I have to do is sit in this house and think about all the things that I do not like. Yeah. And that's and a lot. And things
2: you can't change.
0: Yeah, because people, they go out and they spend money when they're sad.
2: Yeah. No, they or no they, they money go time. to the bar or they, you know,
0: go to the gym. They right. do so many. And for three months, people could not do those things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you could shop on Amazon, but it's not the same as going and buying stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things have changed, and I think that brought a lot of people that were unaware of some mm-hmm. underlying issues that they had that have come to light ever since that this had happened and come about.
0: When people don't understand something, they're scared of it. Yeah. That's what it is. They don't understand it, and they're scared because they can't make sense Of what's going on, and that's very normal. That feeling is that is how somebody feels when they're depressed or anxious. Sometimes people don't know why they're upset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be because you lost a kid or you lost your parents, but some people are just sad. There's a chemical imbalance in their brain that is off balance. And it's not their fault. And it's not their fault. It is something that happened. That's I mean, we. How many people have watched the the show Snapped? on a is it any it's like one of those shows
2: yeah where it shows I, that ID women yeah
0: women have been living functioning lives and the next thing you know they're out there killing people for no reason women that put their kids in vans and run them off of bridges yeah because they have literally snapped yeah there is no rhyme or reason why it happens that and i think because we don't understand it or understand how like i look at that and i'm like oh my gosh i could never put my kids in a car run off a cliff but can i really say that because if i'm not in my right state of mind yeah you it's know it's not you talking. not that i'm excusing that behavior no. whatsoever but it is the fear that the brain underlying the brain is so that... powerful that it can do something like that that is yeah. terrifying yeah absolutely terrifying
2: so if you're listening and you're like okay after this covid crisis you know just like julia mentioned i'm finding myself more anxious than normal maybe you're not sleeping maybe you have weight loss weight gain you know you're not finding pleasure in things that you normally like doing um what do you do So, let's talk about what steps people can take to get themselves feeling like themselves again. Well, if you
1: really feel like, if, you know, you feel like you're in a really dark place, you need to take that step and call somebody, get some help. And if it's not something that you can fix with, like, hanging out with your friends or Mm -hmm. talking to somebody on the phone, talking to one of your friends, FaceTime, anything, texting, um, I think that you need to get some help. And that's not a bad thing at all, like... I think everybody Like I said, it takes that. a lot
0: of courage to sit up there and say that there's something wrong. Yeah. I think there's a couple routes that people can go. If you're feeling suicidal, thoughts of self-harm, that you are harming yourself, you have a plan for suicide, there is a suicide hotline that you can call and they can get you to where you need to be. And I think we actually looked up the number. Yeah,
2: I have it here and it will be in the show notes also. Um, it is 1-800- Two seven three eight two five five. So one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. There's no shame in calling this number. Um, I think that
1: they have. I don't know if it says on there. I feel like there's a chat. Yeah, you can chat or you can. If you just need to call and talk to somebody, I think that you can do anonymous.
2: Yes, you can. And Um, just like talk. I actually think that you can
1: report if somebody. Yes,
2: that's the next thing I was gonna say. So. I know someone who has had to call that hotline to report that someone that they know um, was having these ideations and didn't act on it. And this person didn't want to be the last person to speak to, you know, the person in the crisis. So they called the suicide hotline just to kind of walk them through what they should be doing um, to make sure that this person's safety and wellness was the priority.
1: Yeah, it's just a little, I mean, it's, it's help that you can get. You can do it over the phone. It's not like you have to call your parents or you have to call your friends. Like you can call and you can talk to somebody that's not going to judge you that,
0: and it's qualified that, to yeah, help you that
1: knows about these type of things.
0: Um, the other thing that you can do if you have a primary care physician
1: mm-hmm. is
0: to reach out to them, make an appointment. A lot of people are doing telemedicine consults. Mm-hmm. So you can talk to them and just say, hey, like I'm not feeling right. You know, explain to the best of your ability of what's going on and they can route you in the Right direction. I'm, I'm they,
1: sure a lot of healthcare providers, I don't know if you are in your office, are probably getting those calls because oh yeah. of this crisis. Absolutely. Like, I know as a nurse, when I worked in the front lines like during COVID in New Jersey, I've gotten emails, phone calls. Like, they've set up programs um, that are reaching out to people before, like, they were reaching out to me before I could reach out to them. Like, they want to make sure. Yeah. Like, are you sleeping? Like, Kimmy said, like,
2: and just two, like, very vague, unexplained symptoms can also be manifestations of anxiety and depression. So weird headaches, stomach aches, nausea. Diary, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, your body
1: is weakness, wild and manifests in crazy exhaustion, ways. Exhaustion.
2: Migraines. Like, you name anything. it. So if you have anything out of the ordinary that's really not adding up to you and you feel like your mood has taken a hit, um, reach out to your PCP. If you don't have a good relationship with your provider, talk to your friends and family and find somebody in your family who like loves their PCP and feels like they can talk to them about anything because you want that good relationship with your provider. Um, you want to, yeah, yeah, that too. Or find trying
1: um, online therapy group session, anything,
0: which we have a couple that we've actually reached out to or waiting to see if they want to give, um some discounts for trying their services yeah we're waiting for them to email us back so we'll keep you updated on we that will one. but we'll put a couple of them I know one of them's headspace headspace talkspace talkspace those are like the big two yeah those I'm sure are the there's other two. ones
2: out there I'm, I'm sure it's just like a quick Instagram search Google search however if you are a college student um, I can't speak for all universities, but most of them do have counseling therapy free to you as a student. You pay enough to go to school there. You might as well get everything that you can out of your education. And they're doing Zoom, you know, meetings. Um, your That's employers, like healthcare yeah, health care providers, employers. they um, provide. I know a couple institutions in the area utilize what's called Life Solutions. Um, and they can hook you up with people to talk to too
0: if you're worried about cost associated with that i know a lot of people are in the southwestern pennsylvania um area and there is one called family behavioral resources out in greensburg which i know a person or two that may work out there that are very good people that are very open very honest and they want to help people Uh, their phone number is 724-850-7300 Definitely reach out to them if you are in the area of Greensburg just to say, um, you know, explain what's going on and see if if they can't help you, I'm sure that they will be able help, to. Yeah, yeah, help
2: you in a way that they can find someone who can Yes,
0: exactly. Um,
1: And if you're having trouble finding someone to reach out to, you can always reach out to us in our Yes, port, we will help you. Anywhere. And we'll,
2: in our portal, but you'd have to you with,
0: you'd, you'd have to leave us information on who you are, but you can always send a message on Instagram, yeah. uh, and we can Either check that. Either to
1: our podcast Instagram or any of our personal
2: Instagrams. Yeah, and we are all nurses. We know the responsibility that comes with HIPAA. Yeah, so even so. though you're not our official patient we will treat you like one yeah um and help you know make sure you stay confidential and anything you need you can come to us because i'd rather
0: have somebody reach out to me and need something and get what they need rather than
2: not be able to find it and then not, not do anything about it yeah. yeah
1: just please reach out to us if you need to we'll, we'll be there okay so we
0: had some submissions from some fellow
2: nurses talking about encountering their co-workers not taking patients pain seriously who have a history of substance abuse how do we address these concerns Yeah, I feel like I'm actually guilty of doing this, maybe subconsciously. I was thinking about this question earlier and how, you know, anytime I've... I don't want to say complained or made a statement, rather, about a patient requiring a lot of pain medicine. It was honestly because I was overworked. You know, I had too many patients in an assignment or a difficult patient where I really wasn't able to, like, give them medications in a timely manner. And then the consistent ringing because they're in pain frustrated me you know what i mean because i want to be there but i can i'm only one person um but i think we can all agree when i say that we've had those patients where it's like no matter what you do it's not enough it's obviously a problem affecting their plan of care regardless if it's a mental issue a personal issue a bias there is a point where the amount of medications you're administering as a licensed professional in a state is too much and your name's your license is on the line when it comes to heavily administering these pain medications so how do you think what do you guys think about addressing these concerns
0: well i think there's a lot of stigma out there with pain medicine because you know when was it jaco that came up with pain as the sixth vital sign yeah fifth vital sign <laughs> sounds about something right. like that and the whole opioid epidemic and the current the current opioid crisis that's going on. So how how do we know patients are being truthful? How do we decipher between the two? And I'm sure we have all been in situations where people have taken advantage of the situation. Oh, I'm yeah, for sure, sure there are situations where people weren't medicated enough.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh,
1: absolutely.
2: So more often than not, probably. Yeah, yeah because
1: I think a lot of places like to err on the side of, especially in this day and age. Right, they're because not prescribing they opioids. Back a little bit. There's right.
2: providers that we know that decided not even to renew their prescriptive authority to write for
0: opioids. Yeah, because, because that whole system
2: changed. And they don't want to even want to dabble in it.
0: Right. It is. It is a lot. So, if I was a nurse, well, I mean, I am one. But if I was <laughs> a nurse in the hospital in at that bedside, setting. Which I'm pretty sure is what this question is referring to. I would agree. This is what I would do. Um, I would try to approach each patient with an open mind. Not everybody is out there for getting getting something over someone. But it's the ones that burn us that we remember. Yeah. So that's not going to be Timmy every time, you know, Timmy, you know, abused the... The power of pain medicine and, you know, you're talking to your patient and all you see is Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. So I think subconsciously we may do that.
2: Yeah, I think we need to separate the perception of pain from the person.
0: Right. Yeah, every individual is different, obviously. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you feel that the situation, if you're not really sure how to come and ta- contact the situation, say, hey, you know, I'm treating this patient's pain, you know, they're out of control, get another nurse's perspective on it. Always, always, always. Because you may be subconsciously not paying attention because you feel that you're going to get burned with the pain medicine for whatever reason, mm-hmm. which I'm, we've all been there. We've, we've sure, all been there. But like
2: in my defense, or in my perspective, rather, you know, if a physician or a provider orders a pain medication, that is PRN, as needed over a certain quantity of hours. So every 4, let's make it up. And you're administering that within that time frame to a safe patient that is not in respiratory distress, you know, not comatose, not, you know, in any immediate danger. How is it directly affecting you? It's not. Yeah. So channel that energy into other things. Do you know what I mean? Like, why yeah, are there's you so focusing many things to do in that? a shift. Right.
1: That don't even worry about that.
2: I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you're going in, if, if it's ordered every four and you're pulling it out every two and your patient's breathing five times a minute, then, yeah, you need to worry. You need to be, you know, having some sort of strong opinion regarding the situation. But if you are following the orders that were given to you by, a, you know, the appropriate provider and the patient is not in any immediate danger – your perception of their pain is not relevant.
0: Right. Because, you know, pain is so... Everybody experiences pain differently. Like, I have a very high pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. And I can't take narcotics because it makes me sick. However, what I feel is pain and what somebody else, what you feel is pain, can be be two completely different things. And I think
2: there's cultural considerations to it. Yes. Also. Absolutely. Um, Some cultures are, like, pain is weakness you know they can be in agonizing pain and only go to the provider when their pain's a 10 and they're not really being taken seriously so they're coming back three four five times and then they're labeled as pain seeking yeah. when they just waited too long to report their pain for their cultural
1: yeah I think that's definitely a cultural problem too because I know I don't know if this is like the entirety of like the Hispanic community mm-hmm. but when I was in New Jersey I've had a lot of Hispanic patients and I would have their family members call me, especially Hispanic males and they don't ask for anything they won't tell you if they're having pain you know, and the families will call me and they'll be like, he doesn't and they'll let you know, they'll be like, he doesn't say that he's in pain but he is because they don't want to be a burden
0: and they don't want to be seen as weak Right? you don't want to see a 250 pound man bent over on the ground saying he's in pain because then you're not going to think he's you know masculine a man. yeah he's not going to have a masculine image yeah that's what that's what they think that's not what i think but that's i'm sure that's what goes through their mind
1: oh i'm sure <laughs> like there's a lot of there's a lot of different factors in how people present their pain and that's sadly that's just one of them
2: yeah so i think the best way to do that individually is to take accountability for your own actions because at the end of the day that's all you can do and separate like i said the perception of of the patient's pain, your perception of the patient's pain, separate that from the person because it's not, it's not translatable. It's not copy and paste. I think as a coworker, if you hear a nurse complaining about administering pain medications, offer to administer them yourself, go and assess the patient for yourself. Like Corianne said, be that second set of eyes offer to take care of that patient. Um, if they're admitted into the hospital, I can guarantee you they have some sort of pain. You don't just have an overnight hospital stay for, for a paper cut. Yeah. You know, there has to be something wrong with you. There has to be pain. Whether it's 10 out of 10, I don't know. But there, I mean, something's wrong. Right. And
1: like pains, I know we're difficult things about mental health and this is a part of it. But it's the same thing. Like you can't, die, oh, there's a lot of times where you can't diagnose somebody's pain. Right. With blood work and tests and scans and all that stuff. Like. That's why it's, I think that's why a lot of nurses, this happens to them because you can't, we like things that we can see and Mm -hmm. that we can, we know that there's visible, tangible data. Yeah. And we don't have that, that I think that clouds our judgment a little bit.
0: And then you take into account that we have our own stigmas related to it, as I said previously. So if you are having a hard time taking care of patients who may have pain or has pain. Then you should take some classes you know if you work in a hospital take they some continuing them. education classes mm-hmm. on how you can get yourself more comfortable with that situation know your weaknesses learn them and become stronger for it yeah don't just ignore
1: them because that's only going to hurt your patients and that's going to hurt yourself in the end
0: because you're not going to nobody's gonna i mean not not that i'm saying nobody won't want you as a nurse but they're not going to want the nurse that doesn't take their pain seriously yeah they just like especially if they're in pain And and not that it's about being like the patient's favorite nurse it's not about that it's really about treating people right
2: right and that goes back to what i said about orders like if you have orders they're there for a reason you know, there's someone who is very qualified to make these medical, you know, clinical decisions and is qualified to put the orders in. As a registered nurse, it's it's really not up to you to determine that the patient doesn't need that. Also, order.
1: put yourself in their shoes. Like, what if this was you and you were having pain that was unexplained or undiagnosed and... Nobody was listening to you. and nobody, or if it was your mom or yeah, your dad. Like, how would you want them treated? Would you want them ignored all day? Saying, labeling them a pain seeker. Like, you have to put yourself in their shoes. And I think that that will help. Um, but you really need to address your underlying bias for these things. And this is
0: another thing, too, when we talk about the history of substance abuse and how to address these concerns. So we can take this from an inpatient and outpatient setting. Inpatient, there's other medications that can be used other than opioids. hmm Multiple.
2: Like so, as the days go on, there's
0: more and more and more. Right. So there is tons of things that can be used. So a way to address those concerns, if a patient's having pain, they have a history of substance abuse, see about the other medications. Be an advocate for that person because maybe that patient is so tired of fighting that they can't fight anymore. Mm-hmm. We have to be patient advocates. Yeah, they can't have lauded, but they can have something else.
1: Also, these, some of these patients, like I've had some patients that, you know, were in recovery or were former drug users, they know what they can, like, and they don't want to use. Like, they say, like, don't give me opioids, don't, mm-hmm. I don't want any of this stuff. So they say, like, I've used this stuff in the past, and it's helped. Like, I've had a previous hospitalization with this, and it's helped. Yeah. So talk to your patient. Have a
0: conversation with them, for sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, the other thing is... In an outpatient setting, I I don't know many nurses that work outpatient, but I know that they do. The same thing, there's tons, I'm telling you, I'm a provider, there's tons of medications out there that can be used for pain that works, that, you know, is not opioid related. So if you don't know them, research them and be, hey, instead of giving them oxycodone, try something else.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the list is unless there's so many different things that you can use and try. And try until you find something that works, you know? I mean, it might be a long, drawn out process, but, you know, to keep from, you know, creating a habit.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. Okay,
2: this is a long one. It says this person works in social services. Um, they go into people's homes and help them with parenting, budgeting, community resources. Um, their clients range in diversity from race, social or sexual orientation, social class, religion. Um, she, this person has a multitude of conversations daily where she or he feels free to express their own personal opinion. However, there are professional um, situations where, for lack of a better word, job security, this person cannot engage in the same types of conversations. So they're asking, you know, how do they feel comfortable in a work environment when they are wrong or pointing out the injustices of um, anything non-white, non-LGBTQ, you know, any mental health stigmas. Um, And this person has not found a quote-unquote PC way to respond other than, "Mm mm-hmm. So how do we handle this professionally um, without, you know...
1: So is,
2: is this
1: person, this is a family member or a family's talking to the no, social worker? No, I think worker?
2: this person's talking to her clients and her clients okay. are making, I'm saying her, I don't really know if it's a man or a woman. This person is engaging in conversations professionally that are xenophobic for whatever reason and how to kind of professionally
1: steer that. Yeah.
2: Um, That's hard. That is hard.
1: I mean, honestly, for me, I would just be like, this isn't the appropriate place to talk about this. And maybe, I don't know how you can educate them in a, I don't know.
0: In a non-biased way. Yeah. Because I guess at the end of the day, everybody has their own beliefs. Yeah. But, you know. But I mean, I I don't think you should
1: put yourself in, no matter where you work, you shouldn't have to put yourself in that position if that's something that you feel strongly about or anything like you can you can always just say like I don't feel comfortable talking about this
2: Absolutely. or in order to main professionalism in my current yeah, role right isn't... now I can't engage in this conversation
0: I don't think that's rude no I no don't either I think it's stating the facts I mean some people Absolutely. might find that
1: rude because they want to you know talk or bash about certain people or certain things but you know you need that for your own mental health and obviously for your job security you can't just go in and tell a client that they're wrong or your belief is so-and-so and, you know, you're racist or whatever, you're homophobic. Right. Um, I mean, that's that's not appropriate either since that's your client. I mean, if this was an outside conversation with, like, a friend or something, then, yeah, maybe you could say something like that. But I think, in general, you probably should just try to steer away from those conversations.
2: I think, too, if you, like, laugh or say, mm-hmm, um, or really don't kind of tackle it, I, depending on what your relationship is with these people, whether it's a go, you only meet them once or it's a recurring, you know, and like recurring encounters, by not tackling it right the right way the first time, you're just kind of opening the door to let those people continue those conversations yeah. with you as time goes on.
0: Yeah, I agree. I Which think, it makes think like it worse. I think, I, right. I think the best way not. is to, like you said, Cammie, in order to maintain a professional relationship like we have – this is not the appropriate place nor the appropriate time to be discussing this. Yeah, i like said that to in people the hospital, before. We don't
1: talk about patients. will bring up politics or anything. Sorry, sir, so and so. Yeah, sir, we can't whatever. Talk about that. We can't talk about this. Like, I'm I'm here to help you with your medical issues. You know, I I don't have the liberty to discuss this with you. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it's better to just because you. Or else you'll just end up it's, fighting with yeah, somebody. Yeah, it's also which...
0: setting the stage for the professionalism as well. Yeah. Because if you don't set that stage, they're going to think that every time they come in, they can call you the B word yeah. or the N word or, you know, other words that are not very Or nice. just feel comfortable using those around and you. And that's yeah. not Don't just okay. shrug
1: it off because it's an uncomfortable thing to deal with. You know, you got to hit that head on or else it's not going to stop.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good way to go about it.
1: Yeah, just don't just don't don't engage.
2: Yep. I cannot be professional professional in my current role if I engage in this conversation with you. So please respect that.
1: And if you can't then you know, then you need to take it a step further. You know, talk to your direct manager or, you know, somebody above you and just keep them apprised of what's happening.
0: Okay. Amen. So another question that we got was about somebody's daughter passed away and they're still angry about it. Um, so a little bit about me, I lost my sister in the first semester of nurse practitioner school and I lost my mind. I don't even know how I ended up with a 4.0 that semester, but it was absolutely terrible. Like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me thus far. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know, I don't know what it feels like to lose a daughter or a son or a child, What I do know is I experienced my own grief with that and I still grieve almost every day. Um, So whenever somebody says they're still angry about it, it makes me think that they did not go through the grieving process. Or they still are.
2: Or they still are. They haven't gone through all the
0: steps. There isn't a time frame on grieving. No. There's not. But it is important that you hit all the steps and learn to not forget about them or learn how to survive without them but it's simply to cope with the fact that they are gone yeah and with still being able to function because regardless of what you believe in after we die we're still here and we still have to survive at the end of the day Mm -hmm. so i think it's okay to be angry i think it's okay to yell i think it's okay to have those moments where you cry and sometimes you may cry all day. Yeah, that's just part if of the grieving you're process. not able to move past it, if you're still crying every day, if you're still crying but you still can't get up and do things, then you're not making progress. You still have to live. I'm not saying you jump out of a plane and live. You still have to get dressed, eat, work, still conduct business as usual so I think it's okay to be angry I think it's okay to still grieve because the natural process of things have been messed up we adults are supposed to go before their children it should not be the other way absolutely not so if you can find counseling counseling does work for somebody it doesn't work for everybody
1: or there's so many different avenues you can go. There's grief groups, mm-hmm. right? You know they have groups for if you've lost a husband, if you've lost a wife, if you've lost a child, if you've lost a grandparent, anything and everything they have groups for that. So if one-on-one counseling isn't something for you, go to a grief group where you can. You don't even have to talk. You can see what other people say, and there's somebody you out there to normal. Yeah, yeah. You,
2: all you need to do is listen to feel you know like that it. it's yeah. normal. I think the main thing with mental health, um whether it's anxiety, depression, grief, like we're talking about, I feel like at the end of the day, the patient, you know, just needs to feel like they're a part of something.
1: Yeah, you can't you know, do it alone whoever's suffering health, just you needs can. to
2: feel, like, camaraderie. So that can be through the support groups. If you're devout in your faith, um, you know, draw comfort from your faith. Um, whatever you can do to help you feel kind of, like, Your cups filling back up again, and I think that comes with um, time and seeking company of others.
1: Yeah, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. It's not, this isn't something you can just tackle on your own.
0: And I, you know, I, I will tell you that the one thing that makes me mad more than anything is when people tell me it's gonna be okay when I'm mad. Like, it's not okay that my sister died. In my house, it's not okay that my mother did CPR on her. It's not okay that my mo- my sister died. No yeah, matter what anybody says, okay. no. I think personally, I think that's the worst thing anybody can say to me.
1: I don't know. Do people? I wonder if people say that just because like they don't they don't know what don't, else yeah. to yeah. say. They don't know what else to say. But say literally anything else. Like, how would you feel in that situation if you were going through this grieving process and somebody's like, "It's gonna be okay." Yeah, like, like it's, maybe that's eventually, a slap in the face. It, eventually it will be, but right now it's not. But like that's not at what that I'm here
0: right now. You literally can, I'm telling you that I I am honest with you I do not know how, how I got through grad school. Because I could not see past anything other than my sister not being there anymore. And so every tough. like it's just every huge birthday hole in the
1: world that has just vanished.
0: Birthday, anniversaries, holidays they are never going to have any sense of enjoyment that was at the level that whenever my sister was there and i'm a pretty high functioning person so if i feel that way i know other people feel that way and it's okay to feel that way i'm here to tell you it is if people want to come at me that's fine it's okay to feel that way it's okay to be sad because things are never going to be the same again when you lose somebody yeah it's a
1: it's a piece of you that has now gone missing and like you can't just get a, you don't get over that overnight. Like it, like we've said, it is a process. It there's no time frame on it. It can range from, you know, a week to a month to a year to ten years to twenty years. Like there's no set time limit on your grief.
0: I know sometimes like I still text my sister's phone number, and I don't know who has the phone number now. But they're like, it's okay. I understand. Like, what do you do? That's so sweet, uh-huh. though. What do you do? Like, sometimes I text her Facebook, and I'm like, I miss you so much. It's hard. It's tough. I, I mean, there's a lot of things that I would probably wish for people. But, you know, I would never, ever, ever have anybody go through the grief of losing a sibling or losing a child.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a hard... It's a hard thing to tackle or to even talk about. But, I mean, I do think it's important. It's real. Yeah, it's, it's so real. Because it happens, sadly, it happens every day. So we need to talk about it. You need to, you know, live in your grief. Like, it's it's okay.
2: Um, I think, too, like, all of us are going inter- to interact with someone multiple times stages throughout our life and it's sad to talk about that's going to experience some traumatic grief i mean we're all going to you know experience it at some point um so how do we talk to people that are dealing with grief so korean how do you you said you don't like when people tell you that it's gonna yeah. it's okay um just no i haven't lost a sibling but just from the losses that i've gone through sometimes i'm here that's it like i'm here yeah. but
0: say it and just, mean it yeah, yeah. So if I'm calling you at three o'clock in the morning, you better answer, answer your phone. phone. Yeah. So don't promise something or promise to be there for somebody if you can't do it.
1: Yeah. Grief doesn't stop at nine p.m. Like, no, definitely yeah. it's not stop. like do nine to. Start it's not like phone.
0: sprint three minutes after nine, man. Yeah. It's like It's not open for business hours. Yeah. I mean, it's you know be actually be there for somebody.
2: So how? What are your expectations, or what do you? What like makes you personally?
0: Feel yeah. Or, okay, so never been somebody who likes to show emotion really because um, i guess because i was the oldest kid the so i wife. wasn't really allowed and so are you. yeah so, <laughs> we all are yeah so we're all I, heartless <laughs> i mean i wouldn't say heartless no but, i'm kidding you know we don't really talk about emotions you know that's just something we never did in my family and i don't even know why because we're not you know it's just something i never did like my mom doesn't like hugs now I hate she's hugs. Gonna, oh, see, my she's, mom's a care bear. She, oh, gonna, your mom loves
1: she, hugs. I hate hugs. She's gonna rip I do on like me, hugging
0: her though. You know for saying <laughs> that, but you know personally for me, being somebody to listen, even if it if I sound completely insane, because there I know that there's times that I sound completely insane. Mm-hmm. There are times that I'm not okay, and and that's okay. And that's yeah. okay to say that I am not okay. Yeah, It's like, the main point of this podcast. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, my you know on my sister's birthday, on the day that she died.
2: So do you do anything to prepare yourself ahead of time for those days? Um,
0: <laughs> I sometimes think the end of the world is going to come. So it's not, I'm not going to have to experience it, that doesn't set me up the last couple of times. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that's a little bit crazy. No, it? like,
2: so my, I mean, Hey, my, I,
0: you got to cope.
2: My grandmother died 10 years ago. I mean, grandma's it's expected that they're going to pass away. She was 80 years old. She lived a full life, but she was my literal right hand. Like she was my life. Um. So, like my birthday, for example, it has really nothing to do with her, but she would always buy me um pens. Pens. A sh- <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> I know. A, sho- a shoe I'm box full them. of office supplies. It was either Christmas or my birthday. They're two weeks apart, so it doesn't matter. But that's why her so- favorite store is Office Max. So, so staples. I love Max yeah. two in staples. So Paper you know, January. My birthday is January nine. 9- Zero What? <laughs>
0: gel 0. 0.7 paper me gel pens oh they're 0. so 0. good 7. they're so good i know i they're like the pack so they're so $10. creamy so weird
2: anyways anyways back to the topics
1: here this isn't a pen podcast thanks well, that's next that's a spin-off
2: <laughs> <laughs> calligraphy with Corey and Kimmy. anyways i'll now, pop out of that one back to my my uh coping mechanism here so my birthday's january 9th and that's usually like the start of the new like oh, yeah. spring semester right <laughs> Student for life over here. So to celebrate my birthday every year, I get myself office supplies, because that kind of fills the void that she would have normally done that for me. So I was just wondering if you had anything specific so, that you do.
0: You know, my sister was just so wild. She's such just, just like a wild child. It was, I mean, completely insane. <laughs> but um, I mean, she. I mean, if you know me, my wildest. She was like ten times.
2: Yikes. Your
0: wedding, for example, ten oh, times. Oh god. Ten <laughs> times. And you know how I was. I so, was living for it. <laughs> that was a great moment. <laughs> but a string of moments. She um you know, sometimes I talk to her. Oh I yeah. know that sounds No. That sounds crazy, quote nope. unquote. No, it doesn't. I talk to June every day. Yeah, I think sometimes it's Dream a, about her. hmm She you know, leaves little
2: notes places little surprise that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) another
0: thing too is i like to keep myself busy around those times yeah because if i'm busy if i'm taking care of patients i don't have time to think about it which is not healthy that is not a healthy coping mechanism
2: no but you're still channeling that energy into helping other people yeah
0: into something positive it's
2: not like
1: you're doing something detrimental
2: I know some parents in the community that I grew up in who lost their children from drug addiction. And they have really been pioneers um, in volunteering to combat the opioid crisis. Just doing these astronomical things from educational videos to, to show in schools to... Or talking in schools. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scholarship funds, like you name it, they have taken their grief and turned it into good. Not that it negates the fact that they lost somebody.
1: I think that's a good... I mean, I haven't lost anybody that's super close to me. I've lost grandparents and things like that, but I think that's a good way to channel your your grief because you're doing something positive and that has to make you feel good in
2: another person's honor yeah but you know it's it sounds so easy it sounds so like oh yeah we'll just do that but when you're grieving it's so hard some people
1: can't even get out of bed yeah yeah i feel like to get to that point like you have to be pretty far through the grieving process because once you do something like that like you're facing it every day yeah you're
2: constantly reminded of
1: it yeah it's not like just a birthday or it's every day
0: i think for the parents that you know have had children who have died of opioids i think another thing too they don't want their legacy to be known as somebody For who that, died yeah. of an overdose yeah you know yeah my child died of an overdose that is terrible i'm not negating that i want my child to be remembered the right way right yeah just like not that's not all killed. that they were right bad situations happen i talk to patients every day they're telling me their parents shot them up they were shooting up with their cousin, you know, they were, they were raped and that's how they got away and from things. And this goes back to mental health. This yeah. is, it's a coping it's a, mechanism. It is. a way to,
1: that they use to numb the pain
0: or to, you know. Or to
2: fix that and To in get balance. out of their head. I mean,
0: could you imagine, I don't, I mean, I've never been raped, but I can't imagine being raped and then not even having the courage to say anything. Not having, you know, the thought process of, you always hear, well, you shouldn't have been wearing that or you shouldn't Ugh. have been doing this. So makes me it so becomes mad. like a blame game and people can't cope with it. They can't. So what do they turn to? Alcohol, drugs, more sex, mm-hmm. not doing good in school. It's another stigma we need to tackle. It's not easy. And it's it, no, nobody picks up a heroin needle and says, let me do this because this is going to be fun. There's not one. There's I don't care what force. anybody says. Like,
1: to some people, that's their last resort. I'll yeah, fight to somebody some to
0: the end of that. Nobody picks it up and says, today I think I'm going to be a heroin addict. Today I think I'm going to be um, doing coke or whatever. Meth, yeah. Nobody says they want to do that.
1: Yeah. You can't, like, and, like, that's where, again, you have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Like, you could say, well, you know, if my kid died, like, that's not what I would, or if I was raped, that's not what I would turn to. You don't know that. You don't know what else is going on in their lives that led them to this point. Maybe it was there could a trauma of rapes. Maybe you know their parents died at a young age, or they, their parents were addicts, and this was just something to it was numb the, them.
0: It was the tipping point. Yeah, for a lot of people. So and, and I—that's
1: not saying that they're bad people. I mean, that's the corner that they were forced into. So we need to have need places to help them out. for these people to go for help.
0: Yeah. So you know, gr- I think grieving is hard for everybody. I don't think... And it's definitely not easy whenever you lose your own child. But you can channel that energy into something else that would, you know, instead of him or her being seen as, you know, they passed away because of this, that they can be held um, as a legacy of some sort. Something that, you know, you raise money for a scholarship or you donate a whole bunch of stuff on in their name.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: volunteer in their name. You... I, anything turn it into something positive it's not easy
1: no no it sounds
0: easy coming of I mean, the heart yeah, it's it probably the so hardest easy. thing it you could do hard. but it can get easier it can get easier if you want to channel that negative energy into something negative energy is easy to carry around oh it's gosh. very hard it's effortless it's very yeah, hard it's to, turn to something positive do. but when you start that cycle it it can be good and you can do good with it you know, it'd probably help if I did go to lupus support groups and talk to people and see that, you know, people do thrive, not that this terrible stigma is related to lupus. I probably would benefit from siblings that have lost. You know, I'm part of a sibling group on Facebook, uh, Loss of a Sibling, I think it's called. So um, a lot of them are either, like, traumatically murdered or by drug use, but, um, you know, it's, it, we all hurt the same. It's all the same type of hurt. Yeah, no like matter
1: that. how you die, it's it hurts. I don't hurts like that, say, but
2: I like that saying. It's it's you all are hurting in the same way, regardless right. of
0: what cost. It. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm looking. For, this question
1: was about a mother that lost her daughter, right? Yeah. yeah. So like that, there also is a big part. I think a big part of that grief, and this, so obviously I obviously I don't have a kid, but I
0: think. I think this probably describes how a parent would feel. The hardest thing that I've ever had to hear was that my child died. The hardest thing I've ever done is to live every day since that moment.
2: Yeah. So it's not really so much the action of dying. It's the life after that. And not nobody sure writes for- a book on how to live without your kid. Oh, nobody, God. you know, gives you an instruction manual. And or, if they do, it's
1: not a cookie cutter, one size fits all.
2: I think that you just have to be diligent in your healing and try different things and what works for you. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your body. You know, make sure you're self-aware of everything that you're doing to try to make yourself better. And when you find something that works, don't give up on it. And this is probably how they feel
1: and i'm sure for a parent going through that type of thing i think it's especially important for them to find an outlet to talk because as a parent like you raise your child and your like one goal in life is to protect them mm-hmm. so there has to be such an immense feeling of guilt when your child dies because
2: you can't you protect, can't them, protect them
1: you couldn't protect them from this um, and that has to make you feel so guilty so i really think it's so important to to talk about it, to go to a group, to talk to a counselor, anything.
0: So I'm sure, you know, we've all exercised and been out of breath when we exercise. So I just want you to think about, you know, that time whenever you're exercising and somebody described it as the death of a child is like losing your breath and never catching it again. So imagine running a couple miles and not being able to catch your breath ever again. It's like a forever panic attack. You're feeling like your heart's dying, that your soul is screaming for them. No matter what you try to do, you continue to lose your mind. It's an everyday reminder. Every day you wake up, you know that they're not here. It just sounds like such a vicious cycle. It is a very vicious cycle. I can tell you right that. Absolutely. I see my mom go through it almost every day. It's very vicious. Yeah. So moving forward, I know we kind
2: of touched on this throughout the episode, but just to kind of wrap up and summarize how are ways we can help ourselves, or I guess what are ways we can help ourselves and others kind of go through these mental health crises, stigmas, you know, overcoming the anxieties that come with admitting you have anxiety or depression or you're grieving, so, just some like takeaway tips. What do you think, Corey? So,
0: I definitely think that you should reach out to your PCP. Well, first, if you're feeling suicidal, definitely call that suicide hotline, which will be in the. Note to the notes. show, yeah. Uh, reaching out to your PCP or even, you know, trying to find counselors in your area that can help with uh, the, you know, mental health issues that you're having. I think that. If you don't feel that you are able to connect with your counselor, it's okay to search around for other ones. People oh, yeah. are not going to be able to feel
2: comfortable. Yeah,
0: if you don't feel comfortable sharing your issues, then you're not going to be able to fully recover or be able to solve or find ways to solve your concerns. Exactly. Um, reaching out, like I said, there's online ones, Talkspace, Headspace; those are two of them. A lot of people are doing telemedicine now. So you're able to have conversations with your counselor. Yeah, they may only be 20 minutes, but it's in the privacy of your own home. You may feel a bit comfortable. It'll be like talking, you know, hopefully to a friend or somebody that you feel they can is a non-judgmental space to get it out. You can do
1: it in your bed. You can do it in your couch. You can wear your car. it's your
2: comfort zone. I think too that aspect of like the telemedicine is so unique because, and this might be a good thing or a bad thing depending on what kind of person you are, but if you're very anxious about going to therapy counseling. And you pick up on like other people's energies. If they're on a computer screen, you can't pick up the fact that maybe you think they're judging you or they don't think that your concerns are real. It's kind of a little bit like personless, for lack of a better term. Um, So if you're really nervous, I think that's a good um, route to go down, unless you're the type of person who like needs that physical you know, presence in order to, like, have a good stimulating conversation. So yeah, just something to keep in mind. There's
1: different routes that you can go down. You know, it's, it's all about what makes you feel comfortable because this is this is your conversation that you're having.
2: I think, too, we have mentioned this in our last podcast episode about humanizing people. Um, and when people have a mental illness, you know, you need to humanize them. Don't look at them as just somebody with, you know – depression. You wouldn't look at somebody with diabetes and be like, "Oh, they just have diabetes." You know, that you would look at them and say, "Oh, they like the NBA and they like g- grilling." You're not like, "Oh, they're just a diabetic."
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's okay. It is so brave. And it and brave sounds like such a elementary word, but it's not easy to go somewhere and say, "Hey, I have an issue. I need to get it taken care of." So, People need to be recognized with the ability to say, hey, I do have an issue. I want to get it addressed. You are very brave for stepping forward and saying, hey, there's a problem. So that is the first thing, you know, that I typically say to my patients that come in. And I say, hey, you know, you're brave. You could have, like I said before, you can could have come into this appointment and not said a freaking thing. But here you are telling me how you feel. And now I can get you to the right places that can. Yeah, Amen. it takes a lot of courage.
2: I think, too, self-awareness is key. I said this, I know I said this in our last podcast, and I think it's such an overarching, underarching term across so many subjects. But, like, being self-aware. So, like, for example, when my grandma, before my grandma died, she was sick for over 10 years with cancer. And I knew that when she died, it was going to crush me. And I remember telling my mom, maybe eight or nine months before she died, Mom, when Bubby dies, I'm going to need therapy. Now, it's not easy for everybody to think ahead like that, but if you know that you're having, you know, stressful situations come up, they can come up out of nowhere, they can, you know, you can anticipate them, be proactive and, you know, take care of yourself before you're in a spot where it's like we talked about before, it's too difficult to get out of bed and you just are lost. Um, So if you're feeling those types of ways now, it's never too early to, you know, take care of them and be ahead of them. Yeah. So I think Julia has another charity that we can talk about real quick, um, regarding mental health and just ways to be involved and like we said, feel a part of something. Um, so whenever Julia's ready, yeah, I'll tell the you one I
1: found was it's called To Write Love on Her Arms. It's a nonprofit movement dedicated to presenting hope and finding help for people struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. TWLOHA exists to encourage, inform, inspire, and also invest directly into treatment and recovery. Um, so you know this is this website you know has places that you could go where you can donate Um, it's got a lot of great things on it so it's uh, com. you know you can go and take a look at that also go on the um if you need to call the suicide prevention line i'm sure they have a website
2: yeah they do i'll link it in the show notes also
1: yeah, so if you're feeling lost or you need a little bit of help, you know. We're
2: here.
1: We're here. There's tons of people that are here. Don't be afraid to uh, say something.
2: Our next episode will drop, um, the, not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. And we will be discussing the book White Fragility on that podcast. So if you want to join in with us, please pick it up and read it. Um, you have two weeks from the date this podcast airs, and we will also be discussing the Black Lives Matter movement again and c- tackling racism again. So if you have any more questions regarding anything, please um, put them in our anonymous submission portal and follow us on Instagram at Pod and we will be available on everywhere you stream your podcasts soon we're the last one we're waiting for is apple music so fingers crossed it says people let us on (laughs) and we'll talk to you guys soon Bye. Bye. bye bye